Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. Normally, John and I try to record our episodes several weeks in advance, partially to give me plenty of time to edit them, but also because, frankly, we just feel much safer having multiple episodes in the can. Unfortunately, lately, due to complicated schedules, holiday travel, and our other jobs, we've fallen a bit behind. So far behind, in fact, that I'm actually putting out a preview for part two of our discussion of Heat before we've even recorded it. That recording's going to happen tomorrow night, but at this moment, I have no idea what John has to say about Pacino's frustration when he realizes De Niro's crew is watching them. I don't know how we're going to tackle that insane battle with the cops outside the bank, and most importantly, I can't wait to hear what John has to say about Pacino and De Niro coming face-to-face -face for the very first time on screen. Still, if we have time to record, edit, and post a brand new episode of The Cinephiles in three days, you certainly have time to stop by cinephiles.net and buy or stream Michael Mann's 1995 crime thriller, Heat. All right, now that we all have our assignments, we'll meet back on Friday for Heat, part two, on The Cinephiles. You know, we're sitting here, you and I like a couple of regular fellas, you do what you do, I do what I gotta do. And now that we've been face to face, if I'm there and I gotta put you away, 
I won't like it. But I'll tell you, if it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother, you are going down. There's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in? Then I got to put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. Hello and welcome back to The Cinephiles for part two of Heat. I am Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Santos, California. Hey everyone, my name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, but also a producer, host, and writer over at Collider.com and hosting sports shows as well on Collider Sports. Uh, and I'm excited to jump back into... Uh, 1995's Heat, directed by Michael Mann, one of my favorite films ever. And we've had maybe a week to consider it, to yes. contemplate it. Do you Let feel it wash over us. to wash over us? Do you feel like you've discovered new things that you can bring to this recording of part two? Yes, after 23 years and one extra week, I found something this new. Was the, this was the week this that did the, it. It really sank in, speaking of. But no, people have responded really well to our part one already, and sure. we're saying how they we had like given them a new approach to the film in ways. So that's a positive. So one of the positives about recording a second part after a first part has already come out is get to hear people's responses. So yeah. the fans have been great. So it's great that they're enjoying our breakdown of it. Well, it's an, it's an interesting thing. I think you and I have both experienced that mm. because of doing the podcast, it forces us to look oh, yeah. in detail at the movie, and then that leads other people to bring back other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun. It may be ruining my relationship. Uh, my girlfriend said to me the other night, she's like, you are you overanalyze everything now. Like every little thing you're looking for things when we're just watching a TV show, you're looking for little things like can't I just watch my British TV shows Wait, without trying to Are you you're not contracting film school asshole syndrome. <laughs> no, no, I'm not being snobby about it. I'm more like, oh well this but means that's, this. That's the beginning. Yeah, that's, that's right. How it starts. It starts. Like that. Oh no, I caught it late in life. Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, where we left Heat, we had just had the they had just been about to break into the precious metal facility. Yeah. Heard the noise, immediately bugged out. Pacino lets them go. Yeah. And now we're sitting with our crew and they're going, How did the LAPD find us? Yeah. You know, and, and the first thought that Chris has is, well, maybe it's the score. Maybe they were just on that place, but that doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. And this is where De Niro goes into what? He will later call the discipline, which is that you assume everything has been compromised. Yeah. You know, the phones, they've got their houses, they've got, you know, the the girlfriends, everything they have, and they have to move on. And now what the big question is, are we still going to go on with the bank job? Yeah. And Neil says he's still willing to go for it. Yeah. And everyone, they kind of go around. And for Sizemore's first question is, wait, what about Van Zant? Yeah. What do we do about him? Because he wants his 750 back. And De Niro, De Niro, again, being the smart one, says, look, nobody wants to go after that guy more than me, but we don't want to start World War III in the streets. Right. Which I'm fascinated by that description, World War III in the streets, because that's exactly what's going to yeah. happen a little later on in this movie. Yeah, yeah. But it's a good scene, too, Steve. I like the scene because they're out there and like uh, you get the relationship that each one of these guys has with De Niro. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Eventually, Sizemore says because he, he he doesn't. De Niro says to them all, "You got to decide if you want to continue. I am not going to tell you to continue." And you know, Sizemore says, "You know, for me, it's the juice. It's the juice." Well, that and, the, I, this whole Sizemore thing is so fascinating yeah. to me because watching his performance in this moment, because the first thing he says is, "I roll with you, Neil. Whatever." And De Niro doesn't let him get away with that. Whatever. No, not on this one, Michael. On this one, you're on your own. He says, "No, no." You have to decide. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But then the like next that. thing that happens is that Sizemore goes, well, what should I decide? Right. And asks De Niro. And De Niro says, I got plans. I'm going away after. So for me, the reward is maybe worth the stretch. But Elaine takes good care of you. You got plenty put away. You got T-bonds, real estate. If I were you, I would be smart. I would cut loose of this. And that's when he says, for me, it's the juice. It's the juice, man. And it's so funny watching... This is where watching Sizemore is such a good actor mm-hmm. because you watch, like, I don't think he has a lot without De Niro. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I love about this scene is uh, you get a window into how deep yeah. these relationships are. And yes. Steve, you know this as a director. This is why you cast the people that you cast. Exactly. Because they have these interactions and they bring more weight to these interactions than the words that are on the page. And you can tell the way Chris is with it, or the way uh, Tom Sizemore's character is with, with De Niro, he is like almost like a little bit of a lost child at the beginning where he's like, oh, I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. Yeah. He's like, no, no, well, totally. no, I can't take responsibility for you on this one. Because he's been leading them for so long, yeah. it's weird for them to all of a sudden be cut off right. uh, from him, from their umbilical cords to him, and have to make their own decisions because they've kind of used him as their buffer. Like if he, if 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 Neil says it's okay, he's ta- he's exactly. never been wrong yeah. or he's rarely been wrong. So I'm going with Neil. But now Neil's telling me to think for myself. I don't have all the specifics no. of what a job is like leading this job. So I can't really make a decision, a learned decision in this situation. So eventually they, def- they defer all of them to De Niro. Yeah. De Niro just goes, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, so I, I literally, by the way, uh, before I came here, I spent six hours of student film rehearsals with student directors. Oh my God. I'm sorry. And, no, it was, I'm tired. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah, and I would be too. And, and the big thing literally came up in every scene where I let them do their directing for a while. And yeah. then I go, hold on. What's the scene about? Yeah. And most of the time they didn't have an answer. What? Well, because they didn't, they're just like, well, I'm just doing what's on the page. I'm like, no, no. What does this character want? Right. What is that? Why does this feel like? What does this line mean? And they're, they don't know because they're student directors and they haven't gotten there yet. And it's like, you look at this scene, this scene isn't just about, should we do the bank job or not? Although it is, but it's also about all their relationships and you know, what they all want and what they, and particularly their relationship with Neil. Yeah. And and that's why movie criticism is so important, Steve, because it does give you like a secondhand knowledge and how to look at a film and students, film students should be reading from criticism and film analysis from the beginning. So you have an idea of what all these scenes mean so that when you're creating or you're writing, you're directing or you're acting, you bring that in. And you know what else they should do? What's that? They should listen to the cinephiles. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Um, Nationally syndicated. I do, be. however, have one criticism of this scene. Okay. Which is that there's a thing that you have to do when you're editing a film, which is you kind of have to make sure that everybody stays present. Danny Trejo. Oh, Trejo, yeah. Totally disappears out of the scene. Yep. There's a whole thing that goes on, and then they cut to him, and it's like, I'm in too. It's like, where the hell was he? Yeah, well, I Comes think that, out of nowhere. I think he, obviously, Trejo was not Trejo at this point. So he is just like an afterthought, really. Even then, just crew. even if you have a nobody, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's just as an editor, it's yeah. like, we need a shot that shows that he's there. Yeah. So we don't lose him. He doesn't surprise us. It's a good point. It's a yeah. good point. Um, Hank Azaria. Let's go grab him. Because she's got a great ass. 
<laughs> so yeah, let's do it. So apparently, so that's obviously there's a lot of improv in there. <laughs> yeah, no surprise. This is Azaria's first day on the set. Oh, wow, this scene is nobody told him what that Pacino was going to improv, <laughs> and so when he's going, what I so oh, oh, that's just because he doesn't know what the hell's going on. Holy crap! Why did I get mixed up with that bitch? She got a great ass, and you got your head. All the way up it. Wow. Well, that and you can see it because when he says, "Oh, he's got a, she's got a great ass or whatever," you see him like almost break. Oh yeah. To start smiling, but he, he doesn't end up doing it. But you can see it happening. Yeah. I mean, he goes on this whole monologue. When I think of women's asses, <laughs> it's just and of course, what this plot is is that they know that he has been stepping out with Charlene. Yeah. And they want to get some leverage on him, and he's some guy in Vegas. And at first, he's you don't have jurisdiction, but then they have the Vegas cop, and yep. it's like, no, no. We know that this is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And and now we get to, we're out in the middle of all these shipping containers. We're out on the dock, somewhere San Pedro or something. We have our crew. They're planning something. They're talking about escape routes and all this other stuff. And we see, of course, oh, shit. Yeah. They are being, they are under surveillance. Yeah. They're being watched. Yep. And we're going, man, the they're closing in on them. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the cops pulling into the same location and Vince shows up and they're going over what they overheard when they recorded these guys under surveillance. And then Vince starts going, what are they doing here? Yeah. Next door is an oil refinery. Over there's a scrapyard. Refinery only pays by check. No cash around. Same for the scrapyard. Maybe they're stealing hubcaps. A refinery in a scrapyard. What the hell is going on? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. Like, this is starting to not make sense. Right. And there's just this great moment. He looks around, and the camera sort of pans and then switches looks and switches looks, and this is him processing it, and then he gets it. Oh, these guys are good. I mean, is this guy something or is he something? You know what they're looking at? What? Us. The LAPD, the police department. He just got made. <laughs> I love his laugh in that moment. They want it. They they want to surveil the guys that are surveilling yep. them, and they find out who the cops are. And of course, one at the moment that Vincent realizes that they're under surveillance, we cut to De Niro way far away with <laughs> a super long lens, taking pictures of his adversary mm-hmm. and smirking and smirking when he sees Pacino's reaction. Respect, respect. Well, and this is one of those things about this movie is there is a certain amount of joy in going up against the great player. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, they have such... that Both of these guys are dialed in in different ways to the competition that's going on here, right? It's yeah. so much fun to watch them both, but neither one of them loses credibility in the competition because of how no. they approach it. You know, it's fantastic to watch. Because they are both at the top of their game. Exactly. So they can act the way they want because yep. they know they can win. Right. Totally. And and that they're the only one who could. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, if this was if this was Chris and Michael, Tom Sizemore running the operation, mm-hmm. they would have gotten bagged at the very beginning oh, of the sure, movie. Sure. Yeah. And if this was Ted Levine and Drucker, who might be great cops, they, they're not catching no. Neil. No way. Well, that's the question. Do you think this is and this is an interesting thing? Oh, here we go. Twenty three years later, uh, having an extra week to think I knew about it. Something. <laughs> Do you think this is his greatest adversary for Pacino? Absolutely, hundred so percent, no question. And I don't mean as an actor, right? I mean in the no, no. in the character of the, the movie. Char- Vince's this is the greatest guy he went up against. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Well, again, I, I don't want to go back too much to my rehearsals all day today. Right. But I kept asking questions and the, and and saying, 
and the, and the, the thing is, is what's the most dramatic choice? Mm -hmm. In general, as a filmmaker, we want to make the most dramatic choice. Right. So I'd like, like, does this person kind of like this guy or be indifferent to them or really love them and now hates them? And they'd be like, oh, he's kind of indifferent. I'm like, why would we make that as a yeah. choice? Yeah. It's a terrible choice. So would this be a better movie if this was the third best guy Vince had ever gone up against? Right. Of course not. Right. This is the best. That's why we're making a movie about this. Yeah. We're not making a movie about... Yeah, Vince, although it would be an interesting character mm -hmm. to go back to him in his rookie cop days. Yeah. Sure. But this is the best. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We're with John Foyt. Now we're looking at the plans that Kelso yeah. uh, gave them. And, the, you know, all of this looks really, really good. And, of course, the other thing they've got is their surveillance, the pictures of Vincent. And he is saying who this guy is. Yep. And now we get the info on him. Yep. And as a hot dog, graduate school, Marine Corps. Lieutenant Robbery Homicide, Major Crime Unit. He's taken down some heavy crews. Blew away Frankie Yonder in Chicago. And he was a fucking maniac. The Vice Sergeant says, Hannah likes you. Thinks you're some kind of star. You do this shot, you do that shot. Look how sharp this guy is to figure that. And De Niro thinks that's funny, and voice response is, funny is a heart attack, man. Mm-hmm. Three wives, you think that means this guy likes staying home? Yeah. That's a great line. And again, we go, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Right. And I love, I love this thing that John Voigt says. He says, this guy can hit and miss. You can miss once. That's a really great point that mm -hmm. I hadn't quite thought of. Is that he has to be perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, because he's not the pursuer. Exactly. He's the pursuee. Yeah. And so he has to be, he has to be perfect with every move or else he'll get caught. Yep. Um... Vince comes home, looking for Justine. There's dishes in the sink. She's doing her makeup. Oh, the sink. Where are we going? Okay, where are you going? Out. It's interesting that he chooses not to make a move. You know what I mean? Yeah, not to engage in he the doesn't fight. Engage. No, he gets it that she needs her independence. And this is a man who's been through, what, three marriages? Yeah. So he gets it that his lifestyle, his his life as a cop, as a policeman, his hours that he pulls causes his wives to have these moments or nights of independence. They need to get out of the house, put their hair down, and not think about his ass at all and go and have some fun without him. So you think he's making a good move here? Yes, I think he's making an understanding husband move because he's been through this three separate times already. No, I strongly disagree. Fine, you could strongly disagree. Uh, he is, he is, uh, his marriage is in deep, deep shit. Uh -huh. Her going out is a sign of deep, deep shit. And being understanding is letting your marriage die. It's like the, the move would be to say, what is, let's talk about this and resolve these problems. But he wouldn't have resolved the problems. Well, yeah. So it's better for him to not engage in That's it. not being an understanding husband. That's letting your marriage go down the toilet. I, if you say <laughs> so, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I, to me, I see it as him just like, I can't engage in this. Because the answer that she is true. wants, I, I, I can't give her. Everything you said is exactly yeah, true. Yeah. It's the question of whether or not is that is Oh, that, as a care as a person. As a human, right, you're right. married to a person. Sure. You see they're in deep upset and their marriage is falling apart, going, okay. Yeah, see, <laughs> ya. Just see you later. Right, right. Means that the next scene that we're gonna get to later on mm -hmm. when we meet Xander Berkeley yes. was sort of inevitable. Who's watching his television? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's television. You can't watch my television. Um, we're off in a helicopter. Mm. Beautiful helicopter shots. And he's checking in on his guys who are tailing everybody else. And there's some great rock music. 
and the helicopter lands and Vince gets in a car because he wants to get after Neil. Now, what's going to happen here only happens tonight because Justine totally agree is getting ready and leaving. If she had stayed in with uh, Vince, Vincent, he does not get in the helicopter because he doesn't want to stay in that house. Yeah. While she's, he doesn't want to sit there ruminating about her going out with other people. He's got to go do something else to take his mind off it. Well, the, and this is the, he is an impulsive. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, it's, I hadn't thought about it until you just said this, but, mm-hmm. but De, De Niro's character, Neil, is not impulsive. Nope. He is by the book. And Vince is aggressive and impulsive. Goes back to the thing you said last time about being a coke addict. Yeah. Is that that is his, mm-hmm. he is sharp and on the attack and always moving fast. And yep. this is an impulsive move. And what uh, my friend, uh, or our friend, Mark has told me in his uh, uh, interactions with addicts, uh, addicts are very black and white, very extreme one way or the other, and Vince is like this. He's very extreme in this way. This is what I'm going to do. And he goes and does it. And he he gets, you know, the radio calls from his guys of where Neil is. He Mm -hmm. pulls in behind him. He puts on the flashers. He pulls him over. Neil has the gun under the seat, like, ready to go. Al walks up. With the gun at his side, leans in and says, How you doing? There's so many things that are fascinating about what's going on. Mm-hmm. The first of which is that he knows that Neil knows who he is. And he knows who Neil is. And he knows that Neil knows that he knows who Neil is. Right. There's so much, because otherwise you don't walk up like this, mm-hmm. is that he is putting, and he also knows that he's not going to get killed. Right. I think. You know, he's got his gun, yeah. but I think he knows this guy well enough to know that this is how it's going to go down on some level. What do you say I buy you a cup of coffee? And there's a long pause, mm-hmm. and De Niro says, Yeah, sure, let's go. By the way, no one talks about this scene as the first scene between De Niro and Pacino. Everyone talks about the cafe diner scene. This is the first official scene. No, this scene. is the first scene. Of course, exactly. the cars. No one mentions this. Yeah. Oh, everybody always mentions the cafe yeah. scene as the first scene between De Niro and Pacino on film. But it is this little small scene that is the first one between them. And it's very well done. Oh, oh, it is. So, so one thing I should say before we get there is this is based on a true story. Yeah. Is that uh, Chuck Adamson saw Neil McCauley, the real Neil McCauley, walking out of a dry cleaners <laughs> and walked up to him and said, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And the real Neil McCauley said yes. And they go and get a cup of coffee. And Adamson says that his whole reason was he wanted to look inside him. Mm-hmm. He wanted to let something slip subconsciously and that that would help him predict what the next job was going to be. <laughs> so this is a real thing. Yeah. The real guys. Yeah. Uh, this was shot at Kate Mantellini, which was a restaurant on Wilshire Boulevard, and I went there. It was it, It's gone now. Yeah. But I remember going, because I lived on Wilshire maybe 10, 10, 12 blocks from there. Okay. Um, and I never liked it that much as a restaurant. <laughs> um, That's why it's gone. Yeah, exactly. It was my patronage that really... <laughs> and we get into the scene. Seven years in Folsom. In the hole for three. McNeil before that. McNeil is tough as they say. Why do you think Al? Why do you think Vince is asking him questions about prison? I think it's his way of uh, connecting with him and uh, showing him that he's a guy who knows his story. He's a guy who can speak about prison knowledgeably because he's had experience putting people in these prisons and hearing reports about right. what these prisons are like. It's a way of helping to get De Niro's guard down, Neil's well, guard down a little bit. And I would put. I mean, this is kind of what you said, but I want to mm-hmm. just shine a brighter light on it. Mm-hmm. Is 
I know you. Yes. I know your story. Right. Like you, like it's the, there's not going to be any illusions or bullshit here. I know who you are. Right. Um, and I love De Niro's responses. You're looking to become a penologist? <laughs> and, and then the next thing he asks is, you looking to go back? Because I've worked on crews that are just itching to go back. You must have worked some dipshit crews. I worked all kinds. You see me doing thrill seeker liquor store holdups with a born to lose tattoo on my chest? No, I do not. Right. I love the back and forth between them because uh, for once, uh, Vincent is calm. Just going to say the same thing. Right? Vincent, is ne- he never loses it. He never goes at Neil. He never has his explosions yeah. or... Or stupid, grandiose things that he does with, you know, I gotta fly, oh, San Jose, whatever he yeah. says, or, or she's got a great ass. She, he doesn't do any of that with Neil because he knows Neil is a worthy adversary. And I think he does all that other shit to unsettle people. Yes. But with Neil, he knows none of that shit's gonna work. And in fact, it'll put him in deficit with Neil. I think, I think on some level, we're seeing the real guy. Yep. Who we have not seen. Yeah, it's a good. Is point. he stripped everything away? Mm-hmm. And, and did he do that consciously? Like, what did he know about what he was going to do in this scene? Oh, I don't know if he knew what he was going to do at all. I think he's, like you said, from based on the true story, he wanted to look into Neil's yeah. eyes for himself. But I also think um, the thing about him is that he's an organic guy. He relies on his guts and his instincts all the time. Yeah. So because he seems impulsive, his impulsive nature is born out of his instinct. Right, gut instinct. It gut instinct. Yeah. And he, fire, he follows it because it has served him well through his life. And in this moment... He is focused on Neil, and his gut instinct tells him to approach him in this way. Well, and there's this other thing that that it's gonna happen is on some weird level he lets down his guard, yeah, in a way that he never would with the fellow cops, sure, because he he's when he's with them he's putting on the show he's a great man, oh yeah, and here it's different he's doing something that's really different, yeah. Um, and the first thing he said, you know, De Niro says I ain't never going back, to which Vince's response is, then don't take down scores. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. So you never wanted a regular type life. What's that? What's regular life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he says, do you have a regular life? <laughs> and again, this is where he shares. My life? No, my life. No, my life's a disaster zone. I got a stepdaughter so fucked up because her real father's this large type asshole. I got a wife. We're passing each other on the downslope of a marriage, my third. And they literally just passed each mm-hmm, other on mm-hmm. the downslope of a marriage. She just went out. Mm-hmm. Probably took up with Xander Berkeley. Probably. Because I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. That's my life. And he says it in a way that isn't victim. No. I love that. Yeah. Like he isn't complaining about his life to Neil. No. He is being honest to Neil this about is his, my life yeah and I could give a shit what you think about my life this is actually my life and I just feel like telling you about it yeah that's it I love it and then Neil's response is guy told me one time don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around a corner now if you're around me and you gotta move when I move how do you expect to keep a, a marriage that's an interesting point. He sees right into him. Mm-hmm. Right into him. And again, we get the, the, the philosophy comes out. What are you, a monk? I have a woman. 
And now we're going to get into Neil's side of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I would say it's not that he's less honest than Pacino in this moment, but he is more of a hypocrite mm -hmm. because I think Pacino sees himself and his reality mm -hmm. and his marriage more clearly than Neil at this moment sees himself yeah. in his reality in a relationship with Edie. Well, I think that's what's great about this movie, Steve, is it has these moments of romanticism within the noir. Yeah. And Neil is a romantic character. Yes, he's a brutal, yes, violent exactly. character, but he's a man with a code and an honor, yep. a system of honor for himself. What he has with Edie, he believes in some foolish attempt um, that he can run away with her. He believes this is possible, which, yep. is, which is the romantic notion of every criminal. Yeah. I, if I I just need one more score and I'll run away with the girl I love and we'll be happily forever after in this like way out place. So otherwise, why are you doing this? Exactly. We see yeah. in Carlito's way. Yeah. With with Penelope yeah. Ann Miller, you see it in uh, the town with Ben Affleck and Rebecca Hall. There's always this moment where they think, or even Thief with James Conn, right. that one score is just going to set them apart and set them for life. Neil thinks this is the move here, and so, but but the way they reveal their relationship, Steve, is also very positive. How we spoke about him, Neil speaks about his relationship in very guarded, cautious way. Whereas Al Pacino's character just spews it all out. Right. He just says, this is what it is. Yeah. Well, and we get to this thing where, so, okay, you tell her you're a salesman. So then if you spot me coming around that corner, you're just going to walk out on this woman? Not say goodbye? That's the discipline. Yeah. I love that line. That I just focus on, because we don't think of criminals as disciplined. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And even if you look at, let's look at De Niro in Goodfellas, mm -hmm. we talked about before. Well, they definitely fought, leave the discipline behind. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's where everything goes wrong. Neil is a character who you know, from the time he learned this lesson from that guy he learned it from, you know, in some prison a long time ago. Yeah. He's kept the discipline 100% mm -hmm. until about an hour from now. In the <laughs> and Pacino's response is, that sounds pretty vacant. Mm. vacant is an interesting word mm -hmm. and it's particularly interesting because pacino stays around vince stays around mm -hmm. but he is not connecting with his wife right you know what i mean like his way of staying is to not be present that's what she's asking for in the bar right. when he comes back to get her it's like you need to be present we need to share and he goes no no i will be here but i will not be present i right. will not share and De Niro is going, well, I'm going to be able to leave at, at a moment's notice. And so they're both really flawed in the way they're approaching this thing. Well, I think, Steve, neither one of them are fully present in their relationship because he, she, he, totally. doesn't, he yeah. doesn't tell Edie what he really is no. until she sees it on the television. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's, it's messed up. And, and then we get to this point. It's like, well, do you want anything else? It's like, no. Yeah. yeah it is what it is. It's that or we both better go do something else, pal. I don't know how to do anything else. Neither do I. I don't much want to either. Neither do I. And now we get into the dreams. You know, I have this uh, recurring dream. I'm sitting at this big banquet table, and all the victims of all the murders I ever worked are sitting at this table, and they're staring at me with these black eyeballs because they got eight ball hemorrhages from the head wounds. And there they are, these big balloon people, because I found them two weeks after they'd been under the bed. The neighbors reported the smell. And there they are, all of them just sitting there. 
What do they say? Nothing. No talk? None. Just... They don't have anything to say. See, we just look at each other. They look at me. And that's it. That's the dream. That's going to keep a guy going. The black eyeballs. Black eyeballs. Which is an allusion to the serial killer storyline. Oh, really? Yes, which is what was scrapped for the movie, which oh, is the Wangro, the Wangro serial killer. All those heads he sees, all those victims, are because he can't solve this serial killer crime, which is a subplot that was supposed to run through the movie. Oh, Which really? Wangro is, which is why Wangro is connected to Vince and Neil at the same time in this way. Oh, and so they, yeah, so they never play it out. So it's interesting. What It, it still works because it could be any of the other victims of other crimes, but it was supposed to apply to the serial killer storyline. That's fascinating because here's a weird thing that happens in editing is you have some dialogue yeah. that is specifically meant to be about this thing. Yeah. And then you realize as you're cutting things out and you go, we got to cut out some Wayne Grow, a movie's too long. It's not really plain. Right. And now you have this bit of dialogue. And the first thing is, well, I have to cut this dialogue because now it doesn't relate to anything. Right. And then you suddenly go, oh, this could mean a completely different thing. And it is 100% convincing to me as just the general victims of crime. Yeah. And, and in particular of, of Neil's crew. Mm -hmm. And that's a thing where it's like you wouldn't believe it was possible for this specific thing to work for both. But it yeah. does. Yeah. And then we hear Neil's dream. I have one where I'm drowning. And I got to wake myself up and stop breathing or I'll die in my sleep. You know what that's about? Yeah, having enough time. Which I think totally relates to just what you were saying a moment ago of there's going to be this time and that's what this is all going to be worth it. You know, we're sitting here. You and I are like a couple of regular fellas. I mean, you do what you do. I do what I got to do. Those are different mm -hmm. because Pacino doesn't give himself a choice. I have to do this, right. which is really how he is throughout the whole movie. He, he has a compulsion to do this thing. Yep. Yeah. That's a really interesting distinction. And now that we've been face to face, if I'm there and I got to put you away, I won't like it. But I'll tell you, if it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother, you are going down. There's a flip side to that coin. <laughs> There's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in? Then I got to put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. We've been face to face, yeah. But I will not hesitate. Not for a second. And what's so interesting, there's a long pause... And then Pacino nods, and maybe that's the way it will be, or who knows? Maybe we'll never see each other again. Yeah. It's a great foreshadowing for what we're going to see at Absolutely. the end of the movie. No question. And it's fantastic. It's so ironic because, you know, I say this and people sometimes will get upset because they misunderstand me. This is such a man's movie. And by that I mean these are two men. These are not kids trying to figure themselves out, not guys in midlife crisis or guys in their 30s overwhelmed by their marriages or their lives or whatever. These are men, professionals, the best at their job. And so how they interact with each other, there is a, like a higher level of interaction in, in how they deal with each other. But I love that at the end, it still comes down to a dick measuring contest at the end because mm -hmm. he says, 
I'm going to put you down. If it's you and some bastard's wife, you're going to turn into a widow. And he's like, yeah, well, it may be yeah. me putting you down, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then there's the pause, and then they go. So a couple things to say. <laughs> and a great kind of almost a smile from Pacino at yeah. the very end of the scene. Yeah, I love it. Um, a couple things about this. Uh, the first thing I wanted to just say is acting styles. You have two actors who have been grandiose and huge characters at very t- times in their careers. And Pacino being really huge in this film. Sure. And they're both restrained. And the other thing is you hear this thing all the time. And if you're in an acting class and that acting is reacting or acting is listening, right. watch the character. The, these guys listen. Yep. This is the master class. Mm-hmm. There is, you could see everything being processed. You could see everything they're thinking. You could see them strategizing. You could see the choices that they're making. You could see the honesty. It's just all right there. And what, what's really interesting, they did, I think, 14 takes of this scene. They did. Uh, they had a, a master shot as you normally would do, and they had a couple other shots, and they basically used two over the shoulders. Yep. We shot at the same time, almost all from take eleven. Well, and here's the deal, and this is what we should clarify because for so many years there was this rumor that they never were actually in the scene yeah. together, that they shot body the body doubles from over the shoulders, blah blah blah. No, both of them say they were in the scene together the whole time, did all the takes together because they wanted to give the other actor fully the their their presence and their commitment to the scene so that they both were interacting with each other as actors they weren't just like kind of these diva things you heard about they were legitimately in the scene together and that's why the way michael mann said it was shot he said that to make sure it destroyed that rumor that they had never been actually so crazy the scene to get in the scene it's just such a ridiculous statement one other thing, which is uh, probably some guy with film assholeness. Trying <laughs> I know, right? Smart. Um, I did. I did go um, onto YouTube and watch mm. the version of this scene that's from LA Takedown oh, yeah, TV yeah. movie. I highly recommend. Maybe I'll put it on the Facebook page <laughs> because, and I don't mean to disrespect the guys that actually sure. the scene. They're fine. It's a TV movie, man. It's a TV movie. The script is improved. Yes, very much. It's the script isn't exactly the same. But if you want to see what a good actor brings to a script, watch the two of these side by side. It's like a completely different thing. Yeah. yeah. And Michael Mann directed them both. So. And Michael Mann directed both them both. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hello, Cinephiles fans. You know, we all kind of walk around with these stressors, big, small, medium in our lives that are triggered sometimes by frustrations at work or frustrations at our job or just frustrations overall about our life. Because sometimes you know this, if you compare, you despair and you just want to live a life that's a little bit more clean and accepting of yourself and a little more open to receiving positive messages for yourself so you can have that life that you want to live and have that great work-life balance. And it's not always easy. And for me, for years and years, I thought all of this stress, all of this hardship, I had to just carry on my own, that this is what it meant to be a man. And it was finally getting therapy where I realized like, oh, I don't have to carry that stuff. There's a place where I can unburden myself and actually get advice and guidance about how to deal with it better in the future. Yeah, Steve, you and I have spoken very proudly about how therapy has helped both of both of us deal with our stressors in our lives. And if any of you are listening to us who are thinking of starting therapy, well, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if things aren't working out, which I think is a great benefit. 
So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cinephiles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So Pacino has been f- inches away from De Niro, and the next thing we have is they dumped us. Yep. They are gone. Our crew has disappeared. They've slipped all the tails. He's not talking about his scores with Charlene. They've dumped every single surveillance. And not only did they dump all the surveillance, they did it at the same time. I was having coffee with Neil <laughs> half an hour ago. I love it. Yep. And then he just disappeared. Yeah. And now we're starting on the job, which is sort of the night before the bank job. And we're breaking in and already messing up the security. We're drilling in through some concrete and all this other stuff is going on. And we're back with Van Zant, and in walks Wangro. Yeah, fucking Wangro. <laughs> fucking Wangro. I hate Wangro so much. And apparently, Van Zant's just been hiding out, and Wangro's kind of exaggerates how close he was to Neil, and goes, "I got some moves we can make." We're in a diner. De Niro's looking around, and there he sees working as the as the grill man is Dennis Haysburg. Yep. Um, and they recognize him from Folsom, and. Of course, he wants to go take his break, and our boss is con- continuing to give him a hard time. Mm-hmm. And we get a phone call from uh, Trejo, get a landline to go call it on. He goes off to the to the payphone to call him, and Trejo can't lose his tails. Mm-hmm. Cops are all over him. Is this true? Uh, that's a good question, Steve. I've never thought if it was true or not. I've I've always felt this was a little bit of a shortcut in filmmaking for Michael mm. Mann. I thought, well, he presented the Dennis Haysbert character. You got to use the Dennis Haysbert right. character. So here's a convenient way to use the Dennis Haysbert character. And it is one of the rare inorganic moments in the movie that I felt it was a bit shoehorned in to make this other subplot work for no real reason, well, in what my I, opinion. What I don't know is that we know what's going to happen is that Wayne Grow is going to give the details of the bank job, mm-hmm. which I don't know quite how he got all those details, mm-hmm. but maybe he overheard them somewhere off screen yeah. or something. Yeah, Because they didn't talk about it with him in the diner before no, they dumped him. not the bank stuff. But somehow he knows something about the bank job, mm-hmm. and that's going to lead some bad guys to get to Trejo later on. And the question I have is, has he already started dumping information, and that's why Trejo is more on the run? Right. Or is it um, bad guys that are after Trejo, and that's why he's more on the run? Mm. Or... Is Trejo a completely, is he honorable? That's my question. Oh, no, I think he is. I uh, do too. Yeah, and, and I think the way he gives, he has an honorable death 
shows that's that. That's what I think. Shows that's what that. I think. Yeah, I think he just they they followed him. They couldn't. He, he's not. Uh, there's a reason he's an afterthought most of the time in this movie on this crew is because he's not presented as this like real no. badass, knowledgeable, uh, you know, sit guy. He's presented as a guy who's there and works the crew and he's cool with the crew. But he is presented as loyal. It seems yes. because the last thing he Absolutely. says is. You know, because De Niro says, don't come towards us because yeah. you might bring the cops towards us. And he says, I'm sorry. The last thing I wanted to do was let you down. But and, but let's think. Can I take a moment here? Yes, what, Trejo, what Trejo says here, what does he say to him? I didn't mean to let you down. Yeah. All these fucking guys. Oh, yeah. They all are beholden to him. They, they surrender their alpha dog status that they have in their own worlds right. to Neil. Yep. Right? Tom Sizemore can't figure it. Chris is certainly a child lost. Yeah. So all three of them, even though they're these badass criminals are very much children when it comes to Neil. Yeah. It's fascinating. Well, I think... It's the dominant and the submissive. Well, it, but it's also, like, in different areas. It's like, mm. could could Neil kick the ass physically of all these guys or outshoot them? Mm. Maybe not necessarily. Right. But they can't, they can't work out this bank score. Nope. They can't do it. They can fill their role. Mm -hmm. And you see this, I mean, we look in the entertainment industry, is that, you know, there's there are a lot of... Well, like John Wayne and John Ford. Yeah. That's a perfect example where John Wayne, he, you know, he knew who the boss was. Mm -hmm. He might play this tough guy on screen and actually be a tough guy on some levels. Yeah, yeah. But John Ford made him cry. That's you right. Know? That's right. Because um, he's still marrying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and now we have, of course, our solution, which is Dennis Haysbert. We walk up to him. Yeah. And we give him a very short time to make this decision. Yeah, a really short time. What I'm doing is I'm looking for a driver. I'm going to handle the scanners and a radio right now, today. You remember the drill? Yeah, man, sure. You cool? Oh, man, now you know I'm cool. One answer, yes or no, right now. And there's a swallow and a long pause. And I love, by the way, there are multiple shots of Haysbird that cross the line, yep. which means you're looking at him, he's looking left to right, and then he's looking right to left, which is breaking the rules, technically, in film. Okay. But it really focuses us on the moment that he makes this decision. And he, then he says, Yeah, man. Fuck it. You on. Why do you think he says yes? After all the support from his woman, after him coming out of this prison, possibly going the right path, him being so... He was so, so like self-destructive in that moment he's crying like why are you with me baby why are you with me a guy like me and she still supports him in his darkest moment why does he still do this so i think there are layers to the decision but they are mm -hmm. part of him is doing it for her even oh. you know you know even even knowing that that's not what she wants him yeah, to do yeah, yeah. because he has failed her because in his mind, he's a failure. Yeah, as a you know, man, he can't provide. He can't provide. He's in She's the one who's constantly helping him out. Yeah. And he's looking at his future and going, my future looks like shit. Yeah. My future is going to be have this little asshole. People like that are going to abuse me and take advantage of me. And the best, the best I can hope for is maybe moving up to maybe the line cook instead of just the guy cleaning out the trash. Mm -hmm. And so he looks at that and he looks at the option of a whole shit ton of money and what he can give to the woman that he loves who stood by him. And also, he's pissed off and he's frustrated yep. and sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah, let's do some real shit. Let's get the fuck out of here. A male decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, fuck. Edie's packing. Charlene's with her kid. We head off to the bank. The entrances into the bank are great. The way they move into it, the camera work is great. The music is great. Yeah. Um, uh, it's busy. There are a lot of people. And here's something interesting I found out. They really case this bank. Yep. 
<laughs> so you heard about you read about this too? Mm-hmm. I love this. That he said, Michael Mann said to each of them, go in and case the bank. They went in in disguises. Sizemore apparently did a loan application. <laughs> they checked the cameras. They checked the security <laughs> guards. And then they got the, the, the security camera back from the bank because the bank was in on it. And not a single security guard paid any attention to De Niro, Sizemore, and, uh, and Val Kilmer wow. checking out this bank. Wow. I think that's such good directing on so many levels. Mm. Um, a, it's good directing because you get your actors to experience what the characters experience. Right. But it's also good because it was fun. Yep. And they did like, a, we really felt like criminals and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And then they pull their masks on. Chris takes out the security. <laughs> Brutally. Yeah. And Cyborg takes out security and De Niro pulls a gun on security. Chris gets the keys. And then De Niro stands up and says, We want to hurt no one. We're here for the bank's money, not your money. Your money is insured by the federal government. You're not going to lose a dime. Think of your families. Don't risk your life. Don't try and be a hero. Right now, I want you to sit on the floor and put your hands on your head. Anybody feel sick? Anybody got heart trouble? Go ahead and lean against the wall. And you could see how tight their operation is as they do this. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, there's a moment where he gets like the bank manager and goes, Give me the key. What key? hits him right away yep and i love his line sit there don't move let it bleed and then they go in like through into the safety deposit rooms through a big door to where the money is um big huge duffels he takes out the money which fits perfectly (laughs) that is a well-planned operation and that is a lot of money they throws the duffel out de niro takes one bag de niro runs through with the bag hands it off to michael and now we're in a police station and someone comes in and says hey Anybody working here a case about a guy named Neil McCauley? <laughs> Vincent! Far East National Bank 1130! Cops are on it. Yep. And Al is in the car driving. He calls in for roadblocks. And we are heading into a major, major action sequence. Mm-hmm. Huge gunfight. Huge. In the middle, shot in the middle of downtown LA. And what they had to do, they could only shoot it on the weekends. And they shot it over, I think, four weekends. So everything they did, they had to load in, set it all up, and then before Monday morning, take it all down. Next weekend, load it all in, set it all up again, over and over and over again. That means all the squibs. That means all the fire effects. That means all the smoke effects. That means all the cars had to be in the right place and set with the right, you know, how many bullet holes Mm -hmm. do the cars have at this moment in the shoot? Crazy amount of logistics. Madness, man. Yeah. Making movies, man. I can't I've never worked on anything remotely like this I can't imagine and this is where you know my my film company is called Team Ever Films yeah. and and the reason is is that people don't understand this is a team sport yeah nobody could keep all this in their head it's not possible you need a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of organization to make a thing like this happen yeah um Sizemore comes out gets in the car with Dennis he's pretty darn happy yeah. this is going really well <laughs> That's a that was a foreboding moment. Yeah, the laugh, which he'd yeah. never done any of the jobs yep. up to this point. The laugh was like, "What this is, is going not, on?" It's not going to go well because the cops are rolling in, yeah. and Al gives him some instructions. He wants him to take them in the car and watch your backgrounds, which means don't shoot at anybody else. And we don't want to get into a battle with these guys, basically. And Chris and De Niro come out. Um, Al's moving in. He's behind a wall. Other cops are moving in. De Niro gets in the car. Chris is almost at the car. So close. So close. Starts to smile a little bit. Yep. And then sees the cops. And immediately, the transition and opening fire is instant. It's literally a hair trigger. 
So they went through a lot of training for this. Yeah. Ton of training. I think they look really good with the weapons. Hell yeah. I think they handle them really, really well. Interestingly, the cops and the robbers trained separately. Mm-hmm. So the cops were trained by cops yeah, to do cop stuff. And the the bad guys were trained by the Marines. Mm-hmm. Heavy oh, military like style. And you could see it in the way that they move. Mm-hmm. And the thing that they did, and I, this blows my mind, is they had their whole training facility out in the middle of nowhere somewhere. And what they did was they built the entire city street and every single car, and they had them go through the the whole shootout with live ammo, one at a time. So they actually went through everywhere they stepped. Everything was measured to the inch. Yeah. Everywhere they stepped, everywhere they turned, everything they fired at, they were, everyone's cleared out, and they're firing live ammo. Insane. Insane. Yeah. But- Man, if you can do it, then they get on the set. Now they're firing blanks. Yeah. It, but you can see how practiced they are, mm-hmm. how well they move. Yeah. At the end of basic training, you do a live ammo exercise. Right. Where you... where you And you're like kind of crawling yeah, down. Yeah, you duck crawl, what, you yeah. army crawl underneath the barbed wire, and you army crawl across so that they... But you see the rounds going above your head. That's why... The, and the drill sergeants are on... on uh, they're with you, and they're yelling at you not to stand up. Don't stand up, yeah. Because if you do stand up, you will get shot. Yeah. It's no joke. But it's to give you the sound of what live gunfire yeah. will sound like if you're ever in battle. And how did that feel? It's, that? it's scary as fuck. Plus, there were tracers, and it was at night. There was tracers, It was yeah. not at, in the daytime. It was tracers at night. And it's scary. It was scary as hell. And you just didn't want to stand up, you know? Of course. It's nuts. Well, this is like, I, you know, we romanticize violence and gunfire so often in oh, film. yeah. And I've never, I mean, I've fired a, a, a weapon, you know, mm-hmm. I've fired a rifle, I've fired a handgun, but I've never had one fired near me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and even just firing it seems scary to me. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the interesting things, by the way, they said in terms of uh, tactics mm-hmm. that I really thought, I never thought about this before, is police tactics are based on the idea that they are always going to have overwhelming force. Mm-hmm. Yes, there will be a moment where it's one-on-one, but- Slowly but surely, because you called backup, more and more cops are going to show up, and more and more bad guys are not going to show up. Right, and so and so the the all their tactics are based on this idea. And so what they said for uh, Neil's crew's tactics is they have to punch through and get out immediately because every second they're on the street, their chances go down because overwhelming force is coming, and they got nothing else. Right. And I thought I was like, oh, that is really really interesting. You it's, know, the, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go. Ahead. You know, the brains still use this. Hmm, what? They showed this video as a training really? video for how to handle a gunfight in certain situations. Wow. Yeah. And the, I think the police use it as well as, as, a, as a sample of what to do in these situations because it was so well choreographed between these cops and these Marines. At this battle, it just goes crazy. Anyway. Chris kills Ted Levine. Oh, poor Ted. Poor Ted. Um, and Al sees it and stands over Ted. And Sizemore is driving. He's firing out the rear window. Neil's firing through the front window. They hit the tires. And, of course, Dennis Haysbert, that was it for him. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's just, he did just enough to make you completely invested in that character mm-hmm. and then killed him. Yep. It's brutal. And Chris is firing, and he's laying down cover fire for De Niro. And you see them work together. Yeah. They lay down cover, tell the other one to go, and then they move. Um they apparently, in some takes, fired over 800 rounds in a take. Insane. And the way, by the way, so the, there's those shots where the cars are getting hit, and you see the bullets going through the cars. Mm-hmm. So here's how they did that, which I thought was really interesting, was 
they actually went and took these cars out to the desert and shot holes in them with live ammo. Yeah. So the holes are real gunshot holes. And then they covered them with putty and painted over them. I'm sorry, they put a squib in underneath the real hole, covered it in putty, painted it over. So when it blew out, it blew out into exactly what had been a real gunshot hole. That's awesome. But every time you set that up takes a really long time. So if you're doing take two, you have to cover every hole with a putty, paint it over, you put squib inside, and then rig it all, and then you shoot it again. It's crazy. <laughs> Making movies. Making movies is crazy. Uh, and by the way, uh, Michael Mann did not, like the, these sounds of the gunfire mm. were not laid in afterwards. He put mics all over the yep. set to capture that actual sound of the gunfire so we would not have to do it in post or in Foley. Yep. That's crazy. Incredible. Um, no one does gunshots in Foley, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, whatever it is. A sound effect. Sound effect. Foley yeah. is where you're actually walking on things to oh, okay. a watching picture. No one has a gun and is firing. That's what I thought. And, you know, because I know the Foley's like making the noises. Yeah. People walking. Foley is where you do things live. And, and um, Indiana Jones. By the punch. way, my favorite job other you know, like sound do, doing Foley is a blast. Yeah. Because you're just like, I'm walking in this gravel and you're trying to be the person. It's kind of like acting. It's mm -hmm. really, really fun. Sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> Michael gets pinned behind a, a bus. He turns and gets, he fires at another cop, continuing moving forward. And then Chris gets hit. Uh, and I thought it was a headshot. Like, mm -hmm. it looks like, oh, that's it for him. Neil runs to him, picks him up, starts carrying him out. Essentially, you realize Chris is alive because he's kind of panting and kind of trying to His walk. His face is so red. Kilmer uh, does a great job with this as an yeah. actor. Um, so believable. And De Niro finally gets him in a car, and they drive away, and then the person that they left behind is Sizemore. Yeah. Sizemore's running through people. People are screaming. Cops firing after him. There's a little girl yelling for her mommy. He picks up that kid. <sighs> That's the moment where I'm like, fuck. Like, I, I liked Sizemore through this whole movie. The second he picks up that kid because he has kids, yep. to me, he's done. Oh, yeah. Like, as a character in my mind. Because that's a betrayal of your own children, man. And that's the moment that I was like, okay, you crossed the line, the code. Just that this code. Is, but, this is the, but, but this is the thing, though. This is a great question. I'm glad you mm -hmm. said that. Mm -hmm. Is I do believe Neil has a code. Mm -hmm. I think Sizemore's code is to work for Neil. Oh, uh, yeah. I think left to his own devices, he's not a bad. And this is the thing, too. There are all sorts of people that have children yeah. that do horrible things to other people's children. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. He picks up that kid, Vince sees him, and he turns, and it's in slow motion, mm -hmm. Vince takes him out. Headshot. Headshot. Right in front of the child. Right in front of the child. And then runs and picks up the kid. Yeah. And you know what? That was right. Yeah. You know, that was the right thing to do. And you, and you, you kind of have these weird mixed feelings because you had come to like him, but he did pick up that kid. Right. And really, you know, this is the thing about Neil's philosophy is he doesn't hesitate. Neither he nor Chris hesitate to open fire on these cops with mm -hmm. all these civilians around here. Their code, quote unquote, is entirely selfish. Yeah. It is, oh, there's a criminal code and this is how I behave within that, but I will kill anybody. I don't. Yeah. And it's interesting. So Michael Mann says about Neil's character that he is a sociopath. What? Yeah. And this is an interesting thing of like, what exactly does that word mean? And I think in terms of outsiders, Neil doesn't hesitate to kill people that are innocent mm -hmm. and has no compunction about it and no mm -hmm. regret about it. Okay. But with his people, I think he cares deeply about them. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's an interesting thing to think about these. Yeah. Things. Cause it's, I don't, See him have sociopathic because I don't think a sociopath would take a survey amongst his crew 
and not take responsibility and not say like, you guys have to make your own decisions. I don't want to take responsibility. Right. But that, a sociopath would not do that. A sociopath would just go, well, this is what we're doing. This is what I want. This, yeah. And I will manipulate you to get exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. That's why, that's why I was, and again, we've had this, we've had this with Ridley Scott. We've had this with various other filmmakers where there'll be one thing they say about their characters. I remember one with Scorsese and Taxi Driver 2 where it's like, I did this so you would feel this. And I'm like, I'm not feeling that. That's not, that not what I think's happening. <laughs> Sir, you have failed. Well, no, he didn't fail. Right. He just didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He succeeded. He, he failed up, maybe. Yeah, yeah right. Um, uh, and now we're out of that action sequence. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this shootout, if we go back to reality, um, this is how Neil actually died. Oh. Because um, there was an armored car robbery. And they kind of had them. They knew the armored car robbery was happening. It was like armored car and a grocery store. And the crew had gone into the grocery store. And Chuck and a whole bunch of his cops had surrounded the grocery store and said, we're not going in. There's too many civilians. We're going to wait until they come out. Yeah. They wait until they come out. There is a big gunfight. And Chuck Adamson kills Neil McCauley. Wow. That's what actually happened. And one guy out of the crew escaped. Huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Now the news is all over the, the robbery's all over the news, of course. Mm -hmm. And that's when Dennis Haysbert's girlfriend walks into a bar looking for him, finds out. It's heartbreaking, man. Her yep. face is, because she knows. Yep. She knows. Yep. Before they even show his face, she knows. Let's go see Jeremy Piven <laughs> and the vet. Back when he was doing bit parts. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, he's operating on Chris. It's a funny scene. He's giving some medical advice. De Niro demands a shirt. Take off your shirt. My daughter gave it to me. Father. I don't give a shit who gave it to you. Take it off. And talks to Chris, who is awake, and it's like, okay, Nate's going to take you, and all Chris is thinking about is Charlene. Charlene, yeah. yeah. And then the big question is, who did it? Mm -hmm. And De Niro's response is, who wasn't there? Trey, he thinks it's Trail. He thinks it's Trail. He thinks Trail sold yep. him out. Yep. And, of course, Charlene has found out about what's happening, and she's on the phone, and who is she calling? Hank Azaria. Calling Hank Azaria. And back in Vegas, I think Hank Azaria knows he's going to L.A. Mm -hmm. um, Neil enters a dark house. He's got his gun drawn. Finds a dead body. Mm -hmm. Finds another person with a headshot dead. And then he finds Trejo. Yeah. And at first, it's like, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? What happened? Who? Where's Anna? She's dead. And it's a good scene. Mm -hmm. And it's a sad scene. I think Danny so Trejo plays it great. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about subtlety. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. And the way he's able to get those words out of his mouth in a way that's believable to a guy who's been beaten to an inch within an inch of his life. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the questions that De Niro asks, you know, cause De Niro needs to know these answers. Right. And I guess in that moment, you can say he's a bit of a sociopath because he has no sympathy for what's happened to Trejo. He isn't like, Oh my God, what happened? He's, no, he's like, what, who, who he's moving on. Who was there? Yeah. yeah who's like, and so he finally gets the answer when he tells him about Anna. How's it? And he's like, she's dead. Oh, the, that sound, that yep. groan of yep. loss of love is so powerful in that moment. And then he's then he doesn't even remember what he said, but he said it was Wayne Grow. He yep. says it was Wayne Grow. Oh, that son of a bitch. Yep. So who so, so do you think Wayne Grow do you think Wayne Grow and Van Zant tipped off the cops to what was happening at yes, the bank? hundred yeah. percent. Well they say I think they say they do later that Benny, who's the Henry Rollins character. Uh, is yeah, the guy that's that right. sent that's the tip in. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah think that, right. I think that is. And in the final moment, he, you know, 
I think Vin, Neil does believe him. Yeah, yeah. And goes, okay, I'm going to call a medic. And Trejo knows that's no good. Yeah. I'm not going to make it. I can't feel nothing. My Anna's gone. She's gone. Don't leave me like this, Neil. Please, Holmes. Don't leave me like this. And Neil draws his weapon. And he aims at it, and we cut to that wide exterior shot of the house, and bang. Let me ask you something. Is, if you shoot a death like that, is that how to avoid an R rating? Absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, that but is one of our... film students who are listening, I say. Yeah, that is one of our many techniques. Mm-hmm. And, but, and I'll say something else about it. It's generally more dramatic. I agree thoroughly. Yeah. So one of my, I think this came up once before or on the show, but one of my teachers at film school was Eddie Dimitrik, mm. who was one of the Hollywood 10. He was right. blacklisted. He was 95 when he was my teacher, and he was an old school Hollywood guy. And one of the things he said when he was not entirely with it, when he was more with it, I would say, yeah. is that he said, ah, you kids today. You see, what we would do was we would pull, raise the gun up, and then you would cut to the woman's face as she watched and hear bang, bang, bang. And that is so much more dramatic than showing a bunch of blood coming out. You kids don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and the thing is, I totally 100% agree. Yeah. I think, because it, it makes it happen in the audience's mind. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are times, like we just did Robocop. And Robocop sure. is about showing you the gore right. that's part of what it is yeah but in this case i think you feel trejo's death way more because mm-hmm. we're out on the exterior of that building i agree yeah um neil's talking to nate on the phone and we confirm that it was rain wayne grow and he needs a new out and that he wants to find out where wayne grow is um how do you know it's been compromised do you trust it at this point exactly all right now the cops are loading up and they know macaulay is looking for another getaway uh and they know about Wayne Grove. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's the question. How much time do we have? And Pacino says 10 hours. Mm-hmm. After that, he's gone. Bye-bye. Bam. And they get to the door, and they shoot through the hinges, and they knock down the door, and there is Henry Rollins. Yep. Because he's the guy who gave up the bank. He's the connection to Wayne Grove. Right. We're at a beautiful house. Mm-hmm. Beautiful view. Beautiful pool. Neil is walking through. We see Van Zant inside watching TV, and Neil picks up a chair and throws it through the window. And they clearly didn't have the rights for any hockey games because he's watching like some high school oh, hockey. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. None of those are NHL teams. That's hilarious. Uniforms or anything. He's That's watching hilarious. some college or some terrible high school um, game on there. And he asks, where's Wingro? How the hell do I know? And then three shots and he's down. Yeah, man. Really fast. Fickner is such a great actor, man. He is. I think he's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. And, he, and you know what? He's had a great career. He'll never win an Oscar, probably. But he certainly could deserve one because he is always solid in anything you watch him. He's one of those where it's, I'm sure it's all about the right part. Yep. If he gets that, you know, Robert Forrester part. Oh, or that, yeah. You know what I mean? Certainly like, possible. Gets that supporting actor part. He could totally do it. Yeah. Um, Charlene and Alan are with the kid, with Dominic, are walking up to a house. And then she walks in and there are the cops. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love yeah. that reaction. Oh, okay. Oh, you slimy piece of shit. Well, you want it out from us, right? You scared to death, right? You want out, this is out, Charlene. And they start arguing, and he calls her a stupid broad. He's not a, not a nice person. Not a good dude. 
And uh, Drucker uh, comes in and defends her and fixes her a drink. And, and he introduces himself. And he said, first thing he says, you want to put Dominic in the other room? And her response is, he stays with me. Which I like. It shows some strength. Um, and she asks, so what now? And he says, well. You believe you have to betray Chris? No shit. And I love this. I love this tactic he takes. See, if you don't betray Chris, you victimize Dominic. Because he becomes an orphan when you go to prison as an accessory because you got no living parents to take him. So he ends up state-raised in foster homes, juvenile facilities. Then he steals a car. Then he winds up in gladiator academies like Gino and Tracy. Fucked for life. You know what happens, because you've been there. Dominic didn't get a chance yet to choose his life. But Chris did. He's great in the scene. Yeah. I think his performance is really, really good. Yeah. Um Kelty's a good actor, man. He really is. Um and and then she asked, Well, what else are you selling? He goes, Oh, all, all kinds of shit, but I don't have to sell this, and you know it, because this shit sells itself. <laughs> um, and he calls into Vince and says that they have them, and uh and she cries and nods and she's agreed. She's gonna make the call. And uh, and now we also find out that Benny has sold out Wingro and uh, that he's staying in a hotel suite under the name of Jameson and that we're going to put, I love this, we're going to put the word out to everybody we can think of because we want Neil to figure out where Wingro is because we're going to use him as bait. Yeah. Really smart. Neil's going to see Edie. This is it's this this gets it gets rough. Mm -hmm. This goes to some rough places because now she's seen him on the news and she knows what's happened. And she's like, "Well, that was you." And he says, "It's it's what I don't do. I don't sell metal." Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, this is why you take the role if you're Emmy Brenneman. The movie from this point forward to the end is why you take the role. Everything before here is, yeah, it's cool scenes and flirting and connecting, but the emotional weight of these scenes as this relationship is possibly falling apart yeah. is where the acting comes. And I love it. It, it. Honestly, it's weird to me. It's like, you want me to act across from Robert De Niro? Like, who wouldn't take that role? Well, sure. But you're looking at it from this level. But sure. Someone like Amy. You know. She's not, she wasn't at that high a yeah, level. But, some, but actors who succeed have a, a sure. shit ton of confidence in themselves. Um, and we, she, she runs out. Yeah. She runs. He chases. Runs up this hill. He grabs her. It's, it's so interesting. It's sunrise. And she's going, why did you do this to me? And he has her on the ground. And she's struggling, going, who are you? Why did you do this? And he picks her up and they go back down. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about what's happening? Well, listen, if you had an issue with Harrison Ford pushing Sean Young and Blade Runner, you should have an issue with this. I do. This is an essence. But this happens in relationships. Look, look, we cannot live in a utopian black and white world. This happens in relationships. It's a complicated situation. He's a criminal. She is what she is as a, you know, sells the books and does this uh, design. But I can't believe that she didn't sense there was some darkness about him, which is why she was drawn to him. Watching him. Remember, she stalked him. He didn't stalk her. She stalked him in that bookstore multiple times before she talked to him at the case. She initiates conversation at the diner. It's her 
impulse to be with this man. Now, does that mean that, you know, she has asked for this? No, but this is the situation she's in now. Do I like the way De Niro does this? Absolutely. Or Neil does this? Absolutely not. It's very much imprisonment, very much like uh, um, holding a person against their will. But he thinks he can convince her. And she lets him try by not just walking away fully and not calling the cops, not getting out of the situation. She lets him try. But this is the, this is the, mo- these are the moments in these, these kinds of relationships, right, that we see in movies as like, it's complicated. It's not as simple. So I, I think it's a fascinating thing to see between these two. So I, I, I do too. I think there's a bunch of distinctions in here. So mm-hmm. the biggest one with Blade Runner is that Harrison Ford is the hero of that movie. Mm. And we're supposed, and the way that movie is filmed at the time, we're supposed to like what he's doing um, at that time. Yeah. I mean, I think Ridley Scott's intention is that mm-hmm. that's a sexy scene. No, no, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that me looking at it today, I go, that feels weird. <laughs> the, this one, this is a bad guy. And who we like, yes, up to a certain point. I think he's the hero of the movie. It ain't, it ain't Vincent. In well, I might. I don't think there. I think there. I don't think there is a. Well, this is the, he's so, the protagonist. So, so, so hold that that's thought fair, because that's, that's a whole good conversation yeah, that I because yeah, yeah. I tend to agree with you is that in this we don't know how dangerous Neil is yeah. in this moment. Yeah. You know, is that we just as she doesn't know what his intentions are. Is there intentions? I really love you and I am going to take perfect care of you for the rest of your life. Or are your intentions that she could get hurt? Yeah. She doesn't know. And we don't really know. He's and, desperate and he's scary. Yep. He is je- like, I don't think that, um, uh, Decker in Blaine Rudder is actually scary yeah, in I that agree. scene. This scene is scary. And it also goes to what's the intention of the filmmaker is that the, I think that Michael Mann wants this to be scary. He wants us to be unsure about how we feel yeah. about what's happening yeah, here. Yeah. Um, uh, they go inside and he's still going like this, this is what the plan's going to be. Mm-hmm. And we're still going to be together, but he is holding her mm-hmm. and he is not letting her go. And he goes in to kiss her, and she dodges it. That's that's. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's the worst experience. I've, well, I've had the experience after a fight with a girlfriend in years, Pat, where they just kind of move their face away from you. Oh, it's such a rejection, man. Well, I've had girls who didn't want to kiss me, <laughs> but I have not had uh, not not a long time because I've been married for quite a long time. Right, right, but, right. But uh, good, but, good plug there, Steve. But I've not had. Uh, <laughs> just got to keep it real. But I have not had, I dragged a woman into the house well, after sure. I've murdered people <laughs> yeah, right. and she didn't want to kiss me. No, no, That's no. a different thing. Of course, of yeah. course. <laughs> um, back at Vincent's place. And he walks in and his wife's making some breakfast. And there's Ralph. <laughs> it's such a great name, Ralph. Xander Berkeley. Why would you ever curse your name with your kid's name with Ralph? It used anyway. to be a good name. Yeah, sure. Yeah. People used to like that. <laughs> Um, it's just an awkward scene. And I love her response. Like, you know, he kind of says hello to Ralph. Yeah. It was like, don't you ever get angry? I'm angry. Yeah. I'm very angry, Ralph. <laughs> you know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa. In her ex-husband's. Dead tech, post-modernistic bullshit house if you want to. But you do not get to watch my fucking television set. Yeah, man. It's a big deal. He is made, he's drawn a line. <laughs> he grabs that TV 
Um, and then says to her, I never cheated on you, bitch. Mm-hmm. And she says, maybe you should have. And, and, and Ralph's like, well, maybe I should go. Yeah. It's like, Shut up, Ralph. Sit down. And his re- response is, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And she says, I may be stoned on grass and Prozac, but you've been walking through our life dead. And now I have to demean myself with Ralph just to get closure with you. Which, first of all, is funny to say in front of Ralph. Mm-hmm. I have to demean myself right. with Ralph. And second of all, we're in the true shit. Yeah. You know, she did this on when she said, he said, where are you going? She said out. She was going out to sabotage the marriage. Yep. That was what. And she had him here at breakfast. Right. Hoping that Vince would show up so she could have this fight. Well, and I hope you feel the same way about Vincent not staying to discuss shit. Because uh, as she is, she, it's just as bad that she did what she did. Oh, of course. Went out and found a guy, purposely left, made sure he stayed in the place long enough for Vincent to come Horrible. home and catch him. Horrible. It's well, terrible. Because what you should say is, I'm leaving you. Yes. You don't need, like, you don't need to hurt, like, what she's doing is to hurt him right. so much that she he sees her so that she can leave him. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not necessary. Well, but once again, these are not the black and white, it's not, relationships are not black and white. No. These, this is the ugly shit that happens in, in marriages and relationships all the time. Someone cheats. When they shouldn't cheat, they should just end the marriage, have right. the guts to end the marriage, but they don't. They cheat, and then they try to blame the other person for their behavior, and that's bullshit. Well, there's also this, you know, like, we don't want to be the bad guy. We don't right. want confrontation. We want to, and so you create a circumstance where you can get the thing that you want. Sure. You know, no, it's, it's, it's fucked up in 15 different ways. Right, and you try to make the other person to blame for your shit. Right. Um, we're getting some passports and driver's license. Um, and we're talking about there's going to be this plane that's going to touch down, and you're going to get on it. But where's Chris? Oh, he's gone. He went to see Charlene. And and Neil's first response is like, "You you were in charge." Yeah. And he's like, "Free country, man. Like, what is he supposed to do?" Chris loves this girl. Yeah. He's got to go get her. Yeah. And John Voice does John Voice strike you as the kind of guy who's going to keep people in a place they don't want to be? Well, particularly not Chris. Yeah. I don't think you, I, I mean, I think Neil could maybe keep him there. Yeah. But nobody else could. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Neil and Edie again. And he says, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I know life is short. Whatever time you get is luck. You want to walk? You walk right now. Or on your own. On your own. You choose to come with me. All I know is, all I know is, there's no point in me going anywhere anymore. It's going to be alone. So he does his behavior before we can have real problems with. But at this moment, I think he sees that his mm-hmm. behavior was that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, mm-hmm. okay, you you do what you have to do. He went on instinct, and, and not instinct, on, but like whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah. his mode of operation in the situation. Yeah. Then he realizes, yeah, right. And so he gives her the option, and she stays. And she stays. Mm. She stays. Not necessarily a great choice on no, her well, part. Yeah. Um, and a tragic choice, bro. Yeah. A tragic choice as we see in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fuck. It is a, it's a sad movie, man. It is a sad movie. Well, it, 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 what's really interesting is that it's a sad movie. In which the good guys win. Yeah, great point. The good guys win. Great point, Steve. You know, if you say he's a good guy. Well, 
in terms of law wins, <laughs> yeah, law wins, yeah. I don't. Well, that's a that's another point. Well, let's go back to your question earlier. Yeah, which is who's the hero, and, and it's two different things, really. Who's the hero, and who do you like? Well, it's a good question, and I think I was following along what you said about hero. I don't think there is a hero in this movie. There is a protagonist. And in my mind, Neil is the protagonist because Neil is who we start with from the beginning. Mm. And Neil's the crew, his crew we get to know really well, their personal lives. We don't know the personal lives of no. those because we see them in the restaurant scene. Right. But we don't really know Ted Levine, yeah. McKelty Williamson, that young kid. We don't know their actual, West Studio, we don't know their actual personal lives like we know. And we don't care about them. And we I don't, mean, we're right. a little sad. Oh, Ted Levine, sure. that's too bad. Yeah, that's a shame. But like everyone else on Neil's crew, we know intimately yeah and so to me to me they're all the protagonists of the movie not necessarily the heroes but certainly the protagonists well that's i I think it's a really uh complicated thing yeah because i am more drawn to neil yeah of course i well it's neil's you neil's me yeah stoic cautious stoic cautious yes not impulsive not impulsive plans everything out Mm -hmm. i i totally uh and, and what you say is true is you start with them and you want them to get away yeah more i think than you want vince to catch them mm. but they're bad guys yep and they have no compunction about killing people mm-hmm. they you know they kill people from the very beginning of the movie yeah and and you know that they would kill more people throughout like and Vince, who I find a very difficult character to hang out with, and his marriage I find troubling, and his yeah. the way he relates to people I find hard. Yeah, he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a complicated movie. Yeah, and I'm drawn to Neil for different reasons. I'm mm. drawn to Neil because I wish I could be that way mm. because I am an emotional guy, an impulsive guy. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I can be prone to loud outbursts, but uh, for me, Neil is what I wish I could be, mm. and in my Really strong moments. I am him, which is why I gravitate to him. Right. No. It, it. It. Well, and this is the thing: is that there, there are movies where you get there's the hero, and I like the hero, and <laughs> the hero wins, and that's awesome. Yeah. And there are movies where you go, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. And this is one of those where you're not gonna. It's not gonna let you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And speaking of a scene that's not comfortable, we now have Charlene, and Chris is pulling up. And she's got to get up on a balcony, and all she's got to do is wave him inside. It's so insane. And she's there, and he drives up, and he's got kind of darker hair. It's cut a little short. He still looks sickly. Yep. And he gets out of the car, and he smiles that Valcomer smile, and she waves her hand no. Yep. And the Valcomer's performance in this moment is great. His face falls. His, his face falls. Yeah. And he knows what is happening, and he recovers and he says something to someone about looking for a place to yeah, rent directions or, yeah. directions and he drives away yeah and i think later on they still think it's him they stop his car but his id and all that stuff checks out mm-hmm. and he's gone yeah it's it's a great it's a great scene but mckelty looks at her yeah and he suspects that she's mm. that, that was chris but they don't have you know they but they keep retain the guy yeah and we let and they call vince and they let him know and and vince is starting to go Nothing's happening. Yeah. There's nobody at the hotel where Wangro is. Uh, all he's done is gone for ice, and Vince has decided he's gone. Yeah. You know what? Neil is gone. Bam! Flying like a bird. <laughs> I love the bon voyage, motherfucker. <laughs> and then he says, I'm going to the hotel to take a shower. Does he live at this hotel? Again, if Charlene... Doesn't oh no I mean the uh, if uh, um, what's Justine his, Justine 
does not have a guy there, he is at the house with her. Right. Well, that's he what he doesn't was... go to the hotel. So, when did he check into this hotel? I think he right just after. Now? Yeah. Well, I think right after her uh, Ralph. Thing. Yeah, Ralph. He just you know, kicks the TV out onto the it's sidewalk. A little, it's a little thing because into... I'm like agreed, agreed. Because like agreed. First of all, that he would say if he had just checked out of his marriage right. and got into a hotel, I doubt he would tell the guys he works with. I'm going to the hotel. Right. That seems not in character. And then the other thing is, how does um, Natalie Portman know where his room is and yeah. get into his room? That's a great point. I don't quite understand because he goes back to, he's driving fast, by the way, yeah. as he always does, looks at the TV in the driver's seat next to him, opens yeah. up the door, kicks the TV out. Which I love. It's a great, great moment. And then he's at this hotel. And well, what do you think that signifies, though? I just, I'm done. I'm, I think it signifies that he, was an, he knows he was an idiot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The TV represents his ego. Yeah. And his like supposed, you know. Oh, I'm gonna take yeah, the TV. Yeah, that's a good point. I and like so that. he kicks it out and destroys it because I think this is, and this is the beginning of the process of possibly healing uh, uh, that begins with Vincent and his uh, estranged wife. You would yeah. say. Um, he's in the hotel room. Takes off his jacket. Opens up the bathroom door, and there is Natalie Portman in the bath. Oh, red water. We had kind of forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal and shocking because this is not what the movie is about. Right. The movie is about catching Neil. Yeah. That is what we're about. She was like this interesting character that we met. And it's like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, arguably the most emotional and dramatic thing is actually happening now mm -hmm. and completely derails what we think the movie is about. He pulls her out of the bath. It's great un unconscious acting from Natalie Portman. Yeah. And he, you know, get, ties some uh, bandages around her arms to stop the bleeding. And we're rushing into the hospital. And Justine is there waiting and asking questions. And where is she? And in comes Vince carrying the body. And he is on it. All right, I want you to get a trauma surgeon down here and a vascular surgeon. I think she cut both arteries. Also, I can hardly feel her pulse. Her pressure's way down. So is her respiration. So you're going to have to innovate her. And what's cool is, like, and Pacino does this beautifully, is he is emotional yep and panicked and still knows what he's doing yep still on it well and i like what he says when he's wrapping up natalie portman's not you baby not you not yeah. you not you like it's just what he's saying over and over again because of all the death he's seen already from the serial killer thing yeah and then also from his mm. marriage yeah and then losing neil yeah he's like i'm not gonna lose you too tonight that is great and, and it's a level of vulnerability mm -hmm. that we haven't seen yes because he's had to wall off all those feelings, and now he can't. That's why when people tell me this is a cops and robbers film, I almost want to smack him in the face. This is a whole other level of it a cops and robbers film. Yeah, it's it's just it's just next level, yeah. man. I think eventually, you know, it's only been twenty three years. I think as this film grows, it will grow in steam from a lot of critics. It certainly did to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a person who kind of won that into it, and yeah. now I watched it again and gone, man, there's a lot. There's a lot I just didn't appreciate. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all the gray areas and the subtleties of yeah. it. Um, and I love the moment where they're asking questions and they said, how long since anybody saw her? Don't know. Mm -hmm. Where did you find her? Bathtub. Mm -hmm. And it's just, that is really sad. Yeah. Because just as she fell off our radar, she fell off yeah. Justine and Vince's radar too. She's lost yeah. in the film. Um, later on, the nurse comes out and she's in recovery and she's doing okay. Um, and Justine just cries in his arms. Why did you do this to herself? Look what you did. Look what you did to herself. <laughs> and in this moment, he is there for her. Yep. He is. Not for much longer. 
but he's there. Um, but there's closure here now. Yeah, there's going to be. We achieved there's some closure be, we definitely at do. some point here, yeah. Um, Neil and Edie are driving. He calls in a Nate, and we're, we're good. We're going to go, and Nate says, You asked, so I got to tell you. Guy you wanted checked into the Hotel Marquis under Jameson, if you still give a shit. Which I figured you wouldn't. You figured right. Yeah. Stupid. Fucking Nate. Fucking Wangro. Nate. I blame. I mean, yes, of course I blame Wangro. But this <laughs> is where Nate should have just. Don't tell him. Well, no. Nate, Nate's got a responsibility to tell him. So Because he said. What does he say about Chris? He says free country. Free country, man. That's a good point. Yeah. That's his motto. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But it's like, just don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I get I, what you're saying. Yeah, of course. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, and then this moment, uh, she asks what what it is, and he says, uh, "Nothing, home free." And there's this great light that happens as they go into the tunnel that sort of it overexposes, and and the lighting just goes wacky. And that's one of those things. It was a mistake, and it's great. Yeah. And now we get to see some acting because De Niro is driving. And you see slowly his expression change. Yeah. The ego. Yep. And the anger mm-hmm. and the need for revenge. And he, I think he's thinking about Michael's death. And I think he's thinking about Chris and Charlene. And he's thinking about and Trey. Trejo. Yeah. And he turns that car around. It's Says, code, man. Yeah. I got to take care of something. Yep. And she asks, is there time? There's time. And he pulls up to the loading dock of the hotel, says, I'll be right back, leave it running, and leaves her alone in the car. And he goes into the hotel. The score is heavy. He walks through the service quarter into the laundry, finds a phone, pretends to be room service, asking about a BLT for Jameson, and gets the room number. And, of course, there are cops who are watching on the monitors what's happening at Wayne Grove's room, and Edie's waiting in the car. There's a moment where she puts her, touches her palms together, and you could just feel the nervousness mm-hmm. of what's happening. And uh, Neil is now in a hotel suit that he got somewhere, and he walks out into the lobby. The guy behind the desk, who we know is actually a cop, spots him but doesn't quite recognize him. He goes back into the service elevator, uh, up the elevator, pulls out a flashlight, uses a, a ash can to block the elevator, and pulls the fire alarm. And the elevators all start to descend, except for the one that he had blocked off. Mm -hmm. Again, still smart. Mm -hmm. And the cops are on surveillance, and one of them goes, and one of them stays. And now we're back with Vince and Justine in the hospital. And this is where you talk about this closure. Yeah. Um, They talk about her dad. And and Justine says a really interesting place. The dad was gone. She chose you. She picked your place. I think that's a great line. Yeah. And just as they're having this moment, what happens? Pager goes off. Yep. Pager goes off. Mm-hmm. And Justine asks, is there any way it could work out between us? And his response is, I wish I could say yes, you know. But in the end, you know, it's like you said. All I am is what I'm going after. It's the truth. Yeah. You know? It's the closure. Yep. Because he says it in a way of loving her. Like, I I can't give you what you want, babes. Yeah. You've got to go find it someplace else. I, I can't be what you need me to be. And you don't want to be married to this. You right. don't deserve this. You deserve better. 
I think they become friends in the future. I think that's possible too. And he is in essence like a step, a pseudo stepfather for. Natalie I Portman's totally kid. agree. Yeah. Here's a question: Does Vince marry wife number four? Probably. Yeah, I don't. At I, the I tail wondered, end of his career, does he tell her the same speech that he tells Justine? No, I think if he marries wife number four this time. I think he marries her white when he's about to retire. So he could maybe be different. Exactly. Maybe. Right when he's done. Yeah. Um, like Ric Flair. <laughs> oh, jeez. He married right at the end of his career. Um, and then there's this moment of, you got to go, don't you? Mm. And he says, I'll stay. That's all, that's all she wants, is for him to say, I'll stay, so she can say, you don't have to. Right. It is the gesture. It's a yeah. gesture of love for him to say, I'll stay. Yeah. I'll ignore my job, which has been our problem. Yep. I'll stay because you need me and she needs me. Yeah. And part of me goes like, he should have stayed. Well, he gave her the option. So, this is the thing about relationships. <laughs> it's like, I understand their marriage is on the outs. <laughs> but sometimes giving someone the option, when you know that they're going to say no go, yeah. is not actually being there for somebody who needs you. You know, her daughter just tried to kill herself mm -hmm. you know like she still needs him you know just because you say no no go but but as, as neil might say there's a flip side of that coin which is you're also respecting her as the mother the actual mother biological mother of his child deciding who should yep. be there who shouldn't absolutely be there, and that she's strong enough to handle it which i think we could end a little bit with relationships are hard <laughs> <laughs> that's right there's no this, one way to not, do anything this is not easy stuff <laughs> certainly not um back at the hotel de Niro walks through the hall moving against the tide as everyone else is heading out because of the the fire alarm he knocks on the door wayne girl comes he's armed mm -hmm. And he's just, and he says, security, there's fire on through, got to evacuate all the floors. And Wayne Gross says he can't leave, looks through the peephole, and he's turned his back. Again, he's smart at every step. And, and waving the flashlight. Yeah. As if he's waving people. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's sort of a can't we talk, and he unlatches that door, and man, De Niro bursts through, just like he did on Charlene at the motel, but even scarier, uh, and just takes him down. The cops, of course, see that this is happening. Look at me. Look at me. And Wagro looks, and he shoots two shots of the chest. And there's this gas. I love the that. Air. Just, <gasps> yeah. And then one of the head. He wanted to torture him just a little bit. Before just a little bit. Him. Absolutely. No, he wanted him to see it and feel it and know he was about to die first. It's beautiful. It is. Um, and fire and cops are pulling up and SWAT is pulling up and De Niro comes out and there's a cop, the cops right there, LAPD, don't move. <laughs> I love De Niro's move here. He just backs up on him and turns and takes the cop out with a flashlight. Yep. Really nice. Edie's still waiting and she's watching cops, cars move in. She's watching the, there's a helicopter and it's Vince coming down in the helicopter and the teams are all moving up. And the helicopter lands, and people are, of course, rushing out because of the fire alarm. Vince is now going upstream through the people. Mm -hmm. Sees car. He sees the girl in the car. Mm -hmm. And there's a great shot of Vince. It's through a long lens, so the car is the, the crowd is all blurred out. And you see him all alone in that busy mm -hmm. crowd moving around. Beautiful use of a long lens. And Edie sees De Niro coming out. And he's walking towards her. I think this moment is handled just beautifully. Yeah. And he knows that he's going to get away. He's happy. He's happy. He's done everything he wants. And then he sees Vince. Yeah. And he looks at Edie 
and Vince is running down. He's got his guns drawn. And Neil looks at Edie, who is now getting out of the car. Mm-hmm. And Neil slowly backs away and then turns and goes. Fuck, man. That moment breaks me every time. What's funny about the moment is that it is exactly what he described through the whole movie. Yep. It's the discipline, except this wasn't how you're supposed to do it. No. And he's not doing it for the same reasons. Right. In fact, I think he's doing it now to protect her. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Well, because if she runs with him, if he gets in that car, then she's seen. I mean, she's really a part of it on some level. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. That's certainly one way to look at it. I mean, he's certainly he's going to protect himself. Well, sure, sure, sure. But I like the idea that he's leaving to protect her, too. We're in the final chase. Yeah. Vince with a shotgun. De Niro running. Climbs over the hedge into the airport. None of this stuff could be filmed today. <laughs> like, they don't let people in airports like this. No, it's this is so cool, though. Runs through the hangar. Vince is following. He runs through a field of storage containers. Uh, Vince fires his shotgun. Neil goes for cover. Neil fires back at him. The sound design is fantastic mm-hmm. in this sequence. Um, amazing shot as Neil runs with a, hu- with a plane in the background. Again, never could shoot it today. But today, you just probably do it with CG, which should be sad. Oh, sure. Um, and then they get into this weird space with these weird <laughs> buildings. I don't know if they're they're not storage or they electronic something yeah, navigation. I don't know like, what yeah. the hell this are. Sort of in the middle of nowhere. And apparently, Michael Mann made them arrange and rearrange these things constantly because he wasn't satisfied with exactly where they were. Um, and Mule looks for cover, and Vince is approaching. And comes around the corner thinking he has Neil. He's gone. Neil comes out looking. Nope, he's gone. And then a plane comes in to land. And the landing lights come up. And, of course, Neil notices this. Backs down behind cover. Plane lands. And the lights go down. And Neil notices this. And this is, again, great storytelling. Mm -hmm. You see the action. You see the reaction shot to the action to understand that he's paying attention to it. Vince comes out scanning with weapon. We see the dimmed landing lights behind him in the distance. Neil's in the shadow waiting. And then a plane is coming. And Neil turns at the sound. And he knows those lights are about to come on. They come on. And Vince is perfectly well lit. And Neil comes out. It's slow motion. And we think in this moment, Neil's got him. He's got him. And then Vince looks down and sees the shadow. Turns and fires. And then there's this top-down shot, and Vince approaches Neil, and the lights go down, and Vince comes out of the shadows, moves into a close-up, and they look each other. Um, and the music here, I don't think I said this before, but the music when he pulled him over in the car is Moby. Oh, yeah. And this is the same piece of music mm-hmm. now. It's Moby again. And De Niro says, I told you I'm never going back. And then Neil holds out his hand and Vince takes it. Yeah. What's happening there? It's an interesting moment, right? I've always gone back and forth on what it means. Does Vince feel pity for him? Or is Vince like uh, respecting a worthy adversary in that moment? But it almost feels almost like lately when I watch it now, it feels like Vincent is almost sad that he had to do it. I, because yeah. he now he's vanquished his equal in the world. 
and what's left, right? Was it Lenin and Die Hard? Uh, Alexander wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Yeah. And I feel like in that moment, he holds on to Neil the way he does because he knows once he lets go, it's really over. On, on some weird way, I think he killed his brother. That's oh, a great point. You know, yeah, some, sure. and, and we're, this is the only person we saw him be completely straight with. Uh huh. You know, yep. in a way that he wasn't with his wife and he wasn't with the cops. Yep. He was just sitting there talking like a couple of fellas. You know, it's a strange, strange moment. And um, and then Neil dies, and that last shot is a really, really beautifully composed yeah. shot. Just perfect. And we have reached the end of Heat. It's a long journey to get here. Damn it. Are we done already? Well, I love this movie so much. I know you do. Well, we could talk more. <laughs> we got to the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, the e editor is, is uh, Dav Honig. Uh, he also did Manhunter. He did Fugitive. He did Last of the Mohicans. Oh. So he's got a good list of credits. Hell yeah. And uh, this thing, they wanted to get out really fast. So they started editing it in 24 hours. So 24 hour round the clock editing. Holy crap. Yeah, so they had actually three editors coming in in shifts to finish this thing as fast as possible. It came out. It was a moderate success. Yes. It had no nominations and no major awards. And it Still again, is, it's, I, I agree. I mean, 95 is Pulp Fiction. Um, 95 is Braveheart, I think. Yeah, 95 is Braveheart, certainly. Yeah. Um, so there were some big movies that came out at that time. But no nominations is kind of shocking. I would take Heat over Braveheart any day. And I love Braveheart. Don't get me wrong. I love Braveheart. But Heat as a piece of filmmaking is incredible. I would rather watch Braveheart mm. because it's more fun. Yeah. I haven't watched that in a while, actually. It, it's one we've have, had requested a bunch. Have we not done Braveheart? No. Steve, we must do Braveheart. Yeah. Uh, it's been it's definitely been requested a bunch. We were trying to schedule it with a guest, and then we couldn't make oh, it that's work. Right, and so we didn't do it. We should find but yeah, a I totally person do it. to do it with. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, uh, but I fucking hate that movie. Yeah, so so <laughs> and and for some people, they saw it in '95 uh, when it came out and didn't watch it again until 2018. I don't know what wrong, <laughs> what's wrong with those people exactly. <laughs> well, look, Toy Story's out that year. Seven is out that year. Yeah, Brave Apollo 13. 12 Monkeys, Casino, ironically. Oh, really? The Usual Suspects, While You Were Sleeping, The American President. So this is a... a it's a big year. It's a big year there, for there, By the way, there are a whole bunch of movies there that I would like to do. I'd like to do seven. I'd love to yeah. do 12 Monkeys. Yeah. I'd, I love American President because it's Aaron Sorkin. I've never seen that. You've never seen it? Uh-uh. Um, if, like, uh, <laughs> if you like Rob Reiner and The West Wing... Yeah. You would like American President. Reiner when he was still good. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's the end of Reiner being good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is a big year. And then, of course, the other thing is that, which I, in reading about this, there are a lot of people that blame Heat for things like Grand Theft Auto and copycat robberies. Oh, and really? Yeah. That go, because they think the Grand Theft Auto world of driving around with machine guns and blowing things up is oh. from Heat. It's ridiculous. I kind of feel the same way. Uh, there was a, it didn't take a genius to have go like oh people like to blow stuff up yeah um i blame those fast and the furious movies more than anything else um sure or fair. miami vice you yeah. can blame miami vice you certainly blame michael mann i suppose yeah. you can but not heat yeah agreed so john yeah i hate to ask you this question God damn it I, let's not say this is your final thoughts <laughs> because you're going to have thoughts for a long time but sure. let's say i would like today's thoughts my current thoughts your current thoughts on heat 
Well, this is this is a film that is, you know, it's so funny. Um, I put all these classics in my top ten of films, and Heat is not one I really think about to put in my top ten of films because I love it in a different way. But as I get older, and every time I watch it, I find something really incredible about this film to come back to over and over again and something incredible to enjoy all over again. And if it wasn't for a couple of the story miscues, in my opinion, I think this could very well make an argument for a top 25, top 20 film ever made. It's so it's definitely, I can't say that, can I? Well, it's certainly in my top two of Michael Mann films with Last of the Mohicans being there. But the thing about this film and the thing of why it draws me back to it over and over again is the themes that are explored between these two men and these two crews of people in this film. This idea of you have two, it's the duality of man, the two choices that you can take. You can be the criminal or you can be the cop. You can be the hothead or you can be the stoic guy. There are two ways to exist in the world within what's created here by Michael Mann, and it's irresistible to me. The cinematography is incredible. The soundtrack is fantastic. The pacing of the movie works, even though it's an almost three-hour film, it never has ever felt like three hours to me when I watch it. The lines are eminently quotable, and it's an engrossing film, and it will teach you so much about filmmaking and acting if you're paying attention to the movie the way it's supposed to be paid attention to. And I get something new out of it every time. I enjoy it like a fine wine over and over again whenever I get a chance to watch it. Um, And currently right now, it's a film that is kind of burrowed into my heart and one that I will put on maybe once every two or three weeks recently just to watch an hour or so of it. Uh, I have it in 4K because that most recent release of Heat came out in a 4K restoration. I've been able to enjoy it now on my 4K. (laughs) Gorgeous is too small a word to describe. Gorgeous because those blues are exquisite. The blacks are fantastic. And I bought a TV, an LG TV, that brings those out. And so I was really able to, I'm really able to enjoy that movie awesome. even more so. Um, and so to me, that's that's the thing at the end of the day is it brings me back to it over and over again because I see myself in these characters and I also see their journeys and the tragedy. It is the tragedy. Without the tragedy, I don't think I'd love this movie as much as I do because there is that, the Dr. Zhivago moment lives in this movie as well. That moment where everything is possible, that you could reach the goal and can't the bad right. news bears moment can't win that final game rocky can't win that fight at the end there's all these moments uh, oh there's all those tragic moments at the end of those movies and this is this certainly has it as well and it's so incredibly well acted and well directed and um if you haven't seen it in a while and you're just listening to us talk about it i can't encourage you enough to put it on and watch it again you'll get like steve who knows, maybe if you haven't seen it in 10, 15 years, you get something completely different and reappreciate the film in a way you didn't before. So for me, I don't know exactly what was up with my 27-year-old self that didn't appreciate <laughs> this film. But looking at it today, we live very much today in a world that really likes to see things as black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they see is like, this is good and this is evil, and someone is either all good or all evil. And this movie lives in the gray areas. You've got these two main characters who are both really good at their job and in both some fundamental way have separated something in their heart where they're not going to fully engage with a different part. Yeah. You know, you have this relationship between Chris and Charlene where Chris is clearly abusive. Yeah. 
And yet that also is the relationship of real love. Yep. Unquestionably that they both deeply love each other. You have this uh, character of the Natalie Portman character who's desperately looking for uh, affection and a father figure. You have um, Justine who chooses to make her husband connect by having an affair with this other guy, Ralph. You have... You have all, you know Tom Sizemore's character who has a family mm-hmm. who we're drawn to and like and then picks up a little girl and is holding her hostage. Mm-hmm. You have Dennis Haysbert's character who has true love with this woman who supported him in his whole endeavor to heroically not go back to a life of crime. And what does he choose to do, in, which I believe for her is go back to a life of crime. Like throughout this whole movie, with the exception of Wayne Grow, who's not black and white, who's not gray at all. No. Um, is that it's forcing you to look at these things and find yourself rooting for people that you don't like or rooting for people that are on the wrong side of the law or use tactics that you find, and yet you're so interested in them. And it it makes you, I think, appreciate that we don't live in a black and white world, that things are complicated, and that we, in fact, are not black and white, and maybe you see some of the gray areas within yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what we think about heat, at least for now. Yes, for now. <laughs> um, but we would, of course, like to hear what you think of heat. You can always visit us on Facebook. Just do a search for the cinephile, C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S. If you want to pick up that 4K copy <laughs> of heat, maybe you should do it by visiting us on our website, cinephiles.net, C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S dot net. And please do visit the website. I know it doesn't seem like much, but if you want to support the show and you are going to go buy something on Amazon anyway, the easy easiest way for you to support the show is just click on that Amazon link through us. We get a little bit and it helps us keep the show going. Um, You can subscribe to us on iTunes where we'd love to get your reviews. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. I literally was responding to some great comments today because someone had seen a a RoboCop in the lecture hall that I used to go to on the Berkeley campus. And that was kind of awesome. Oh, how cool. Um, So please leave your comments on YouTube. If you really want to support the show, the best way to do it is on patreon.com slash the cinephiles where you can hear extra audio clips. There's going to be more stuff coming down the line. We finally figured out some good stuff that Mm -hmm. we plan on doing. And you can suggest a film if you, if, if you pledge enough. And if you wanted to reach me, you could do so on Twitter at SR Morris. Well, you can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. Of course, all the stuff I do here at Collider. If you're into sports, Collider Sports, we have that new channel. If you're into gaming, Collider Gaming, and of course, the Top 10 show. I hope you don't, Steve doesn't mind if I do a plug for our live show next year, February 23rd. We are almost. 90% sold out for those tickets in this London. This is in London, right? Yeah, London, February 23rd. Uh, get your passports. Uh, you can get the tickets at www.kingsplace.co.uk and uh, see if you can get a ticket there. Hey, it's Christmas season. Maybe my nice gift for your top 10 fan out there. Um, and also, one last thing. If you're going to buy the Heat 4K, it's the one with the black cover. Black. It just says Heat. Don't get that one with De Niro and Pacino and Kilmer on the cover get the one that is black and i think it's a double disc it's black uh and it just says heat across the middle of it and yes buy it at our amazon store so you can support us and hey it's christmas buy all your stuff at our amazon store so that we can get a little bit of uh support from them yep all right and i think uh without further ado that is it for this week we will see you next time on the cinephiles